Hello and welcome to the podcast, a positive conversation about dogs and the people who love them. I'm your co-host, Jean. And I'm your co-host, Karen. And Karen, we have with us today a guest to talk about, as you know, probably my favorite topic, which is behavior and dog training. We have Trevor Smith, who is a certified professional dog trainer. He's also been involved in the leadership of the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, a group that uh, I know both of us want to find out more about. And and we also, I mean, there's so many things that we that we could talk to Trevor about, but um, we'd love for our listeners to leave today's episode, really understanding what to look for in a, a dog trainer, in a professional dog trainer. If you're having behavioral issues with your beloved dog, uh, which all of us encounter those challenges, you're not alone, you're not unusual. And we're hoping that Trevor can help us understand how to find a really good trainer that is using the latest science to help our pet and to help us as much as possible. Is that right, yeah. Karen? Did I set us up for this conversation? I think so. I the, the only thing that I would add, Jean, is that training isn't just for behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, training is good for any dog and any owner because it helps strengthen the bond between dog and owner. And it also for dogs, especially like ours, those Aussies, it's good for their mind. So, oh, I agree. You're right. I, le- I totally but, left out the fun part. And of course, yeah, training you and is I've... fun and learning is fun. So I don't want it's our listeners fun. to think that training is only for dogs that have behavioral issues. Dogs should always be learning. Exactly. And that and, and you, you touch on something so important about the bonding. And I, I was told that by, by a, a dog savvy friend before I took uh, my first dog, Daisy, into class, into school, where we took o- obedience was our first, uh, was how we got into training at basic obedience. And I remember my, my dog savvy friend saying, you know, you're, you're going to be impressed with how much closer you and Daisy get. And I thought nonsense. I've had her for something like five years at that point. I thought we can't get any closer. We are best friends. Oh my gosh. We got even with every class we took that dog and I, our connection, our communication skills with each other got better. So Trevor, let's get into it. Let tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to be a certified professional dog trainer. Yeah. And I've been like, kind of like holding my my mouth over my my hands over my mouth because you guys are already kind of touching on some incredible topics for today. Um, And let's just hit it right off the bat with, you know, the Association of Professional Dog Trainers. They have been around for decades now, helping uh, dog parents um, to be able to connect with their dogs more. um, And through the aspect of educating dog trainers to help, um, their students to do better with their dogs and to learn more and to connect with them and to have fun, like you said. Um, and it's been an incredible organization that has done a lot of work and um, uh, particularly with the, the, the new Lima program that they kind of spearheaded with a, a few other um, groups uh, to help kind of help us to get more focus on having fun with their dog without any forms of um, aversive punishment that's going to um, harm the dog's relationship with you. Um, so it's incredible. Um, they, uh, one of the coolest resources you can get if, if you want to find out more, of course, is their website. But on that website, they have a trainer search and you can type in your zip code into the trainer search and you'll pop up the trainers in your area that are part of this organization, but that are also the ones that are certified through um, CPDT or any okay. other organizations. A couple, couple acronyms there. Okay. I know. <laughs> Tell us what Lima is yes. and then the other certification. Yeah. So Lima um, is basically a kind of a standardization of um, 
for our trainers or a promise or a creed to say, we're going to use, and this is the acronym, least intrusive, minimally adversive, LIMA, <laughs> L-I-M-A, um, least intrusive, minimally adversive training methods available to us to train the dog and to help them connect with us. Meaning, do we have to have these certain tools, whether it be a collar or certain methodology of how we um, uh, approach a certain behavioral problem. Prong or, collar, shock collar. Yeah, I was just making sure that I can start saying those words. You, on say this podcast. you know, some people get a little triggered on some of these no, words. No, no, no. We, but we, uh, we've actually had a number of um, episodes where we talk about the prong collar, the shock collar, the choke collar, and how owners should not utilize those tactics. And I think it's so important. You're talking about the current science. Yes, APDT is definitely behind the current science. And there is a basically a um, research, um, published research paper that just came out talking about all this. Like the, they actually worked, they actually got these shock collar and prong collar companies and said, hey, pick a trainer that knows how to use your tools. And we're going to run, through, run, these, run a series of dogs through um, a series of training exercises to see the effectiveness of your tools. And then they also reached out um, to some trainers that don't use those tools and some organizations that don't use tools that you pick your trainer. So it wasn't like they picked random trainers. These are the posters that, you know, the creme de la creme top, top of the line to do all these different training scenarios and behaviors to see how the efficacy or how well the dogs learned and retained the training. And it showed that actually that um, there wasn't a huge amount of difference in sense of like using these tools didn't incur um, the dog um, to learn faster or better. It actually showed sometimes not to learn faster um, and not to retain information. And the big comeback from all this is that the dogs, actually there's a lot more fallout using these tools, these aversive methods where the dogs were um, relationship and their, um, their want or drive to learn was decreased and diminished. So it showed a lot of cool things. And I'm, you know, I definitely um, need to look that up for you guys. So you guys can be pot, put it into your link somewhere, <laughs> that research paper. Um, there, there's a couple of trainers that have talked about it and extensively online um, better than I have in this like little small, short section, but it's real important that we focus on that. You said the acronym of LIMA, um, the, the, the movement of LIMA of fact is that we want to use the least intrusive and minimally aversive methods to train our dogs. And then you had one other, was it a certification? Yes. An additional are, certification? There are multiple certifications. The one that I, the one that I have done that I am a part of is um, Certified Professional Dog Trainer, CPDT, um, or CCPDT, the certification, the Council for Certification Professional Dog Trainers. I might be messing that up for a second there. That might have to be it. <laughs> but, uh, but CPDT, Certification of professional dog trainers. Um, and that's the one that's just um, the one of the more common ones. There's many uh, certifications out there with some amazing um, training that trainers get. And why is this important? You have to ask yourself, like, why does it matter that we have trainers that are certified? I mean, you mean what <laughs> we were talking about this right before we jumped on podcast here, but, you know, why does it matter that our hairstylist is um, need a certification to cut our hair. <laughs> well, we want to make sure that when we get our hair cut that, you know, we're going to have come out with a look, but you know, what's more important, like you're talking about, like getting your hair cut or having your family member, your pet, your, your dog being well-trained and not being fearful towards you or to your friends or your family members or anything like that. You know, 
I think uh, you know the answer is pretty clear that we definitely want to make sure that our wonderful fam furry family member um, is happy and is having fun with us and enjoying being part of the family and going on walks and parks and um, going to restaurant patio and having a good time with us. Well, that's an no, interesting point that you bring up, Trevor, because not anyone can become a hairstylist or a cosmetologist. You have to go through some sort of regimented professional training and a certification program. However, if Jean or I wanted to become a dog trainer, we could just start telling people that we're dog trainers. Correct. Like there's no certification. I mean, you've got, we could voluntarily go through a program. Right. And and get certified through your organization or or um, CPDT, but there there's no federal or or state standards for training, is there? There is not. Um, maybe in the future we'll see that. Um, there's some talks about that, but right now there isn't. So when you're having problems or issues with your dog, and you go on Google and you say, "I want a dog trainer." it's important to know if this dog trainer has experience and you can't just with CPT and a bunch of other certifications, you can't just wake up one morning and say, I have this certification. It go, there's a lot of training that goes into it. There's a lot of studying. There's a final exam. And uh, for me as a dog trainer, that's actually why I did it. Cause I actually started training dogs since I was six years old and with my mom, who's also a dog trainer. And so I had, you know, at least 10 years of experience before I <laughs> um, started to go for a certification but I want to show um, and help my, my clients or my students to understand that um, I it took, took, took the time to get the certification of a CPDT. So that way they knew that I knew what I was talking about. Because um, you can imagine, you know, when you, especially when you are um, at a young age, 10 years old, even or even 12 years old, um, it, it definitely uh, <laughs> helped to have a certification. If you had a 12 year old walk up to you right now and said, Hey, I'm a dog trainer. You'd probably kind of give a little giggle, <laughs> but, uh, but that's where a certification come into play. People will take, um, trainers that are listening right now, they'll, um, it's definitely a great way to test your skills and your skill sets and to refine your skills, to be a better dog trainer and to learn about the, um, relationship between people and their dog. Yeah, it's an interesting part of life, isn't it? That, I mean, I don't know, Karen, if we, do you know off the top of your head, sort of what the percentage of Americans that has a dog? I mean, it's, it's a tremendous part of our lives, right? Oh, and, and we love our dogs, but the approach to dog care, dog training, dog behavior is pretty broad. And I find it to be far more old fashioned than a lot of other things in our lives. I'm not sure why we, uh, as a society have clung so fiercely to, um, yelling at dogs and hitting them with the newspaper when they're bad, <laughs> when, when for just about any other thing in our lives, we would utilize the internet and find out what is the latest and greatest way to do X, Y, Z. Right. I'm not sure. I, like, you know what I mean? I There's know, and that's actually... a curiosity about a lot of things to do with it, whether it's health or money or, you know, day-to-day -day life, what car you buy, whatever, but people seem to do a, not, not as much research, don't have the same curiosity about dogs. It's just, um, it's like past, like whatever your parents taught you about how to raise a dog and their parents and their parents, even though we, we find our own way in so many other areas of life. So it's frustrating and it's good. This is why we like to talk about it on this show, because there is so much science behind it. There is so much new research and it's very exciting because not only does it work, 
it doesn't hurt dogs. I'm sure this is a frustration for you in your profession that people are asking yeah. if people yeah. are, are, oh. are going, do you, am I, am, do you think that's right? That people are, are approaching dog training in a very old fashioned way? Well, it's definitely uh, interesting to think about that. You mentioned the internet. I mean, um, you know, there's so much conflicting information. That's where trainers can help you out tremendously because what works for one dog, and that's kind of my job as a trainer is like, Yes, there is many different ways to teach a dog how to go into a down position or how to come when called, but what is the best way for this particular dog and this particular person to connect on a relationship level? That's where trainers can really kind of hone in and help you be successful um, in that area. And, you know, you mentioned science too. What's cool about science, it's, you know, it's results are there. And when you actually approach dog training in a scientific way, it becomes tremendously much easier to be successful with your dog. <laughs> when you're just guessing and saying, I think this is going to work for my dog, you're going to find yourself hitting a lot more um, walls and barriers and be more frustrated because it may not be working. Or you may have stopped too quickly. Like maybe the process doesn't seem like it's going in the right direction you want to. So you keep shifting gears and you start frustrating your dog because the dog starts learning how to do it one way. And then you stop and try to train them a different way. And they go, I don't know what you want from me. And when you are very scientific, when you're very clear, when you have um, a good reward system in place where if the dog does a behavior, they get rewarded for it. Then that becomes a much more clear communication with the dog and the dog starts to want to listen to you more and more. It's so much um, fun. And it's, um, it's where I geek out and nerd out the most is the science behind dog training, because when you hit a wall, um, you just have to figure out. So like my biggest thing, my, my number one rule for people to grab onto when it comes to training is a behavior that is rewarded is likely to increase a behavior that's not rewarded is likely to decrease. Um, and put it simply as reinforcement drives behavior. Um, that if your dog is doing something, whether it's something you want them to do or you don't want them to do, you got to find out what's reinforcing that behavior. And when you find out how to reinforce the behaviors that you want them to continue to do and how to get the behaviors you don't want them to do, like barking at the squirrel and stop reinforcing that behavior, then we you start to understand how do you get your dog to do anything, you know, from shake a paw to doing agility, <laughs> whatever you want them to do. Trevor, can you help us a little bit with, um, I hear from my, my uh, friends with dogs a lot. Um, they think of the two types of trainers as they don't think of it as we're speaking of it as um, positive reinforcement versus aversive training right. um, or, or negative. They think of it as uh, the, the shorthand that's used is, oh yes, I've heard of that trainer uh, you know, he or she uses a lot of treats. Well, I don't want my dog to get fat or I don't want to always have to use treats. Or I've also heard, and this is real challenging when people say my dog is not food motivated. So if, if people are thinking like there are mm. the treat trainers and then there are the, the collar trainers, let's shorthand it that way. Yeah. Um, and you're, and you think, well, mm -hmm. my, you, you think I know my dog and I think that my dog would be more responsive to a, to a prong right. collar shot collar. I've been told that's the way to go. And my dog doesn't like treats or doesn't, I don't want my dog to be fat. Can you address if, if that, if you agree, that is sort of the, oh, the dividing oh, line. I, I do think um, there is a notion and this is what's so great about that recent research that came out. Um, there's a notion that in order to get my dog to learn this behaviors more clearly and more effectively or faster, I need to have some sort of tool to make that happen. And I don't want to use, um, I don't want to beg my dog to do something with shaking a bag of treats in front of their face. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the, 
ne you know, negative side of all this, but the, the truth is actually um, that a, just like when you do something for somebody, um, you expect some sort of reciprocation, particularly at work. <laughs> when you go to work and you do your job, you expect to be paid. And when we, um, that's kind of more of the transaction that you want to give for dogs, because dogs, um, one of the biggest transactions, one of the biggest ways to get, um, to get a dog motivated is food. And we say treats and treat training, but it's really about rewarding behavior and giving them um, a reward for doing um, their work and doing and work listening to us versus coming down a punishment. So like, and we've been in relationships like that sometimes, maybe not everybody, but we've been in a relationship where you come in and that person's always so happy to see you and they sometimes they'll give you a gift or they will, you know, you know, just give you a high five or whatever it may be. And that's reinforcing. Or you run into, walk into a room with somebody that's always, you know, mad at you, it's upset with you. If you don't do something wrong, they take something away from you. You start to realize, ah, don't want to be in a relationship with that person anymore. <laughs> so what do you want? To, what do you want your dog to look at you when you walk through your into your house or into your home? Do you want your dog to look at you something that they want to be with and that they feel happy being around and want to learn something from, or do they want to avoid you and say, "I hope I don't get in trouble this time with this person. I hope um, I don't do something wrong to make them mad." <laughs> like that's where the the switch gets flipped, and um, and I would say one of the cool aspects of being a sports dog trainer where I take my dog to do dog agility and things like that you don't see aversive methods in dog agility training because these dogs are off leash running around a big open field with all these obstacles and equipment and if they don't want to do something and you may train it aversively the dogs will start to associate all this equipment with aversives they won't do it they just don't and in and, and, and agility training you don't see aversive trainers you don't see aversive methodologies because you have to get the dog to want to do it and have fun with it. But the cool part of agility training, if you actually watch the competitions, how many times do you guys see um, somebody that's running a dog and dog agility over the obstacles, going through tunnels and A-frames? While they're on course, do you ever see them pull out a treat or toy in a comp like a major competition? No. Do the dogs no, look like they're not. having fun? Most of the time, yes, they're having a blast. <laughs> they have a blast because that is like the perfect picture to show you what happens on a high scale with dog agility training, but also on a on a lower scale with just teaching your dog how to sit instead of jump up on you. When you teach your dog that the behavior itself is is rewarding, and you do that enough, the dog doesn't need to be told or need to be necessarily always rewarded for every single time because they find that oh my gosh, like so. Perfect example. I really I should send you guys a clip of this. So I have, an, I have a brand new puppy. His name's Bolt. He's a border collie. And I have a, a training platform out. That's the climb. And I've been doing this really fun experiment. And it's been so cool to see. I have this climb out. And one day he jumped onto the climb. I went over there, petted him, give him a treat. And it's hilarious. The last couple of days have been so much fun because I see him over there. He gets up on the climb and he's just sitting there wagging his tail. And I haven't asked him to be on the climb while I'm cooking. He's on the climb while I'm eating dinner. He's been on the climb and he's wagging his tail the whole time because he understands that I've reinforced his behavior enough that being on the climb itself, the action of being on top of there is so reinforcing for him. And that can happen on your walks for come when called that if you reward these behaviors enough that the, your dog will start to see the behavior itself as the reinforcer. And it's such a cool switch shift for the dog. Instead of it always being about, um, about um, whether or not they want to do it or they have to do it, but it just doesn't matter anymore. The dog just um, loves doing it because it's something that's fine. They find reinforcing. 
They love the praise too. Mm-hmm. So like they just beam with the praise when, I mean, Jean and I were lucky enough to go to the Westminster dog show in Fine. 2020, right before the world shut down. And we watched the um, agility finals and the joy yes. on those dogs faces just when they completed the run and jump literally every dog leapt into the arm of its owner i mean yeah. i mean it was incredible gene and i were both crying during the uh, yes a- every we were tears of, tears of joy tears of joy it we, was we, adorable the, the emotion so adorable. was incredible and i'm and, and you like like yes you'll see the occasional toy brought out at the very end outside of the ring or the treat and stuff like that. Sure. But actually one but thing you see a lot of things too, is the dog gets done. Like this whole party happens, right. Uh, yep. Whether we have food or toys or not. And then you'll see the dog actually like start heading back to the start of the ring again. <laughs> like they want to go so back. In. <laughs> like they're yeah, like, again. we did it. Let's go again. <laughs> it's like, a, it's almost like a, um, a theme park ride for a dog. Like yeah. that was so much fun. Let's ride it again. And exactly. That's what we want with our dogs. Right. And that's what a trainer is really a good certified dog trainer can help you do with your dog is they want to ride the, the ride of life with you. Like if you make it fun and you use reward-based methods and you get the, the right communication set up between you and your dog it's not a chore to train your dog and it's just part of life and the ride of life. And it becomes so much fun instead of it being like, Oh man, I got to go train my dog. And you're just like, for me, who's of course I'm a dog trainer. So I probably a little biased, but for me, it's like someone that takes five to six classes with their dogs a week. <laughs> like, cause it's just so much fun. It is. So, it's, I've, I've always told Karen that it's the, it's the guaranteed hour of nonstop smiling in my week. If I'm yeah. taking a, a training class. And this, this philosophy, Karen, I was thinking, um, it, it almost sounds like a philosophy, doesn't it? This, I mean, this is a, this is a, this way of training is a philosophy that it sounds like is embodied and promoted by APDT. And would, would that be the right characterization? Mm-hmm. Totally. I would say definitely that we, as an organization, um, are striving to help, uh, and really as an organization, APDT is really striving to help trainers to get those resources and tools, help them be successful in teaching students or teaching people with their dogs how to be successful with their dogs. And so it's empowering the trainers to um, to, to do the work that um, they need to, but also like to connect um, the people that are looking for those trainers, those type of trainers that are passionate about what they do. And I think that's important, right? It's like, do you want to hire somebody that's doing it because it's like, oh, this is what I have to do to make a living? Or do you want a trainer that's doing it and training because they're passionate about what they're doing and they love doing it? Everyone always wants that, right? Whether they're getting someone to come mow their lawn, do some painting in their house, whatever it may be, someone that's helping cut their them hair, cut their hair. Yeah, exactly. Like my hairstylist loves what she's doing. She's I do actually not want an angry stylist. No, like uh, my hairstylist actually has almost uh, an allergy, she says, to human hair. Like she get, gets itchy, <laughs> but she loves cutting people's hair so much that she just does it. And so, you know, someone like that is who you want to find to help you with your dog, not someone that's like, oh, it's a nine to five for me. And you want someone that's like, I love helping people connect with their dogs and help them um, to be successful with whatever they want to do, whether to take their dogs on a walk or to go run an agility course. So Trevor, why would someone join the Association of Professional Dog Trainers? What's the benefit of being a member? So the benefit of being a member is, I would say, mostly for people that are looking to start in the world of dog training. So some of you guys are listening, that might be people that are like, 
well, I'm a dog trainer. I've been doing it for five to 10 years. We're not trying to downplay anybody that's like passionate about dog training. Um, like for instance, there's a great dog trainer named Zach George, who has run a, a huge YouTube channel. He's not certified, but he's actually in recent talks with him. He wants to, he wants to get some certifications under his tool belt and things like that. So some of you that are listening to this, we're not coming down to anybody that doesn't have a certification, but if you want to get started and more resources and more support. And you're like thinking to yourself as a doctor, you're like, where do I go from here? ABDT will help you get there. <laughs> I guarantee you. Um, from their conferences, uh, right now it's all online these days, uh, but you know, and in-person conferences are, are, are incredible once we get those going again with all the, <laughs> the mess that's happening. But uh, from the conferences to the online resources materials, to the forums, um, to getting certified um, as, a, as a professional dog trainer, um, APDT and the whole organization is a fantastic resource for you. And once you get your certification, um, are you, are you done? Is it like, is it, <laughs> is it like becoming a, uh, becoming a, a doctor or a dentist? Oh, wait, they, they aren't actually done. Are they? they I mean, they're, I think doc, are doctors required to do ongoing education. There are certain professions right, yes. that are right now. CEUs are continue education um, credits that you that you need to get to as a, a, a as a member of APDT there's none of that you, you know you're just a member and you're help getting resources access to that stuff but right, uh, for right. a certified professional dog trainer or any other certifications out there for the most part um, you're going to need to have some sort of continued education which we all should right um, you need so whether it means you know attending a webinar online or something like um, a going to a seminar like there is lots of ways you can get those continued education credits to keep your certification active and that's what's also important to know too when you're looking at certifications is this something someone can pay a thousand bucks to an organization and get some letters behind their name or is it actually a huge like certification so CPDT is one of those ones where it's not just about giving an organization a bunch of money they want these trainers to continually educate themselves to be better and better and learn the most recent science. Cause you want that too, as a, as a dog owner and as a dog trainer too, you want to continually to, um, um, learn what's new, what's coming out, what's the new science. And we've made so much has changed over the last just 10 years with dog training. Like <laughs> in the last 20 years, we've gone from, you know, an ambiguous of like, what is the better methodology here? Is it better to roll up a newspaper or is it better to have, um, a reinforcer ready to go for the dog. Um, you know, we've definitely found that over the years that having the reinforcer rewarding the dog has been a much more effective and long lasting uh, training methodology. See, I know you're part of the communications team with um, APDT. Uh, and I know, didn't you all take issue with the Wall Street Journal over an article that they wrote um, about? Some- I'm actually unfamiliar with that. I actually haven't heard um, much about the Wall Street Journal or uh, article. I definitely need to look into that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I saw it on your website where your um, incoming board chair wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal because I guess the Wall Street Journal d- did a whole article that characterized training um, through adverse methods rather than positive methods. Interesting. So yeah. your organization took task with the Wall That's Street great. Journal. That's uh, that 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 is important because I mean we like I said like in the beginning of top podcast like I mean it, we we have the feeling like I think anyone that has worked with a dog using reward based based methods uh, can feel that connection with the dog and feel that they want to keep working with you and it feels great. So is it all just about emotion? Like is it an emotional thing to say? 
that reward-based training is better. Well, in the past, that's all we knew. We just felt, it just felt better. You know, who, who, who wants to lay down the hammer with their family member or, lay, or anybody like at work too? Like nobody likes to be the bad guy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, now the science has proven, the research has proven and will continually to do so that it actually is better. It is better not to use tools, not to be adversive. It's better to be um, uh, using reward-based training. And it doesn't have to always be treats for those that are struggling and saying, my dog is not motivated by food at all. You can use toys, you can use pets, you can use praise. You know, food definitely is such an fast and effective way to do it, but it's not for all dogs. Some dogs, I had a dog like that. Um, he is a border collie. I put a stake down on the ground and put a tennis ball and he would grab the tennis ball hundred percent of the time. Uh, I wish we would have gotten a video. <laughs> at one point. Cheaper. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> tennis ball is cheaper, but yeah, he, he, he didn't have expensive taste. That's for sure. But he loved toys more. And Ken Ramirez, who's also a fantastic dog trainer, and I shouldn't say just dog trainer, he's more than that. He's worked, he's taught butterflies to fly on cue. He's taught um, seagulls to not eat popcorn at a theme park and go somewhere else to find their food. Like he, you know, he's done so much with different types of animals. Um, He has developed a whole system based around the idea of, okay, your dog likes toys more than food or your dog likes food more than toys. Well, you can actually train your dog to build the value into other types of reinforcers. And that's what I love to do with dogs. Um, I, I love that my dog loves to work for me for food, but it's great to have like a Batman's tool belt where my dog will work for me if I have a toy in my hand or a piece of kibble, or um, I'm going to go get him to go into the tunnel. Like the tunnel itself going in the agility obstacle is a reinforcer <laughs> for sure. So if I'm a new dog owner and I want to um, look for a trainer just to do basic obedience Mm -hmm. and and bond with my dog if as i'm interviewing potential trainers or as i'm looking on their websites because i think the first thing that most people do is google right and look at the websites what what should i be asking or looking for definitely see and ask what tools they use to motivate the dog to listen and learn are there buzzwords we should be looking for to stay away from? You know, it's funny because I could tell you a few different buzz, buzzwords, right? You know, uh, you know, would it be aversive methods or whatever, things like that. But then what will start to happen is then those trainers typically will work around that. You know, we balanced used to use training, balance training, you know, you know, like. Yeah, is it, you know, we used to actually use balance training and things like that, or we used to use actually positive reinforcement training or positive trainers. Well, you know, the act of adding a um, punishment to um, to increase certain things or decrease certain things, you know, positively add can also be considered positive dog trainers too. So some people will also say that they use retreats and they use reward-based methods but they don't use just reward-based methods. They also will put a collar or some sort of versus method on your dog as well. So, um, you know, just be honest and clear. And it's sometimes people get take, you know, it's a little hard conversations and things like that. But if a trainer doesn't want to be forefront and honest and straightforward of how they want to work with you and train your train with you and your dog, then just move to the next trainer because, you know, you don't want someone that feels, you know, um, that they have to hide anything <laughs> when they're training dogs. Like, you know, it, it, especially if you're sending your dog to go get training um, and if they don't want to film their training sessions with your dog, or if you can't film your dog in class while training because of certain methods that they use, 
that's a red flag, right? Um, for me as a trainer, one of the things I love to do, whether I'm training by myself or in a class, is I love to pop up a phone and record myself training so I can see how I can be better. Um, but there are sometimes situations where trainers that are a little bit more shy about their training methods because they're not um, they're not reward-based. They don't want you to film in, in class. Now, some trainers that are in class that use reward-based training, all that stuff, may not want you to film because it might just start the class and that's fine. But, it, um, but I would definitely look around and ask questions about the main one is what tools do you use to motivate the dog to learn or train with you? Um, and if they, um, if they come back with any of the things like, you know, they use like the shock collar, pinch collar, things like that, then, you know, we know, you know, to move on. If they, um, and then if, if they are kind of, kind of vague about it, just be really specific and say, do you use anything like shock car, choke car, pinch car to train dogs? And if they say yes, then move to the next trainer. Right. <laughs> so, um, if but, they, but if they say Trevor, I, I know, I think trainers have been known and I've certainly heard this from the customers of trainers like that to say, oh gosh, they barely use the prong collar. They barely, or the, or the shock collar is turned on so low. I've touched it's just it a vibration. Or it's right. just a vibration. Is there a spectrum to be aware of? Should we be talked out of that? Or is it pretty black and white? The aversive is aversive, period. period. Good question. Black and white, clear. It's it, it, negative it really, is negative. It really, it really shouldn't be use of that um, at all, uh, if not necessary. Uh, I have been, as working with dogs for 20 years now, um, I've been lucky enough that, you know, I haven't had to use any of those tools. You know, I think not lucky enough, I should say that. It's like, I have not had to use one of those tools ever. Because they're not necessary. They're not necessary. It's not necessary. And um, it's it's great to know that, isn't it? Like, it should be a, like a, whew, I'm not doing something wrong. You know, like, I think a lot of- well, uh, You mentioned earlier that this is, not, it always felt right to be positive. Yeah. It's, and I think when you talk about, um, you know, I think we've all, any of us who are out walking our dogs- have probably seen, especially in a neighborhood like where Karen and I live, where there are a lot of dogs. I've seen so many times people being stern with their dogs, yelling at their dogs, no, yeah. or pulling, you know, yanking on the right. chain or the collar. And I think I, my gut says that poor dog, I, I wouldn't want to be with that person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be that dog. And what, you know, it's, um, I think, and you mentioned this early, earlier, Trevor, put ourselves in those shoes. Like, yeah. I wouldn't, if you, if you're, I wouldn't be motivated, as you said before, I'm not motivated when someone tells me I'm bad and wrong or yells at me or God, can you imagine if we were shocking humans, right. even with a low oh. level shock, can you imagine people right. putting that on their children and saying, yeah. it's okay. Exactly. It's just a very light it's shock. Yeah, we would be, you know, definitely in this culture would be, you know, thrown out very quickly. Um, you know, and I want to take a moment to talk to those um, to say that it's okay if you've used this in the past. Like if you um, worked with a trainer or you personally have put these tools on your dogs because you thought in that moment that this was the best way to teach dog, you're not alone. I mean, this, this has been something that has been decades in the making of understanding how to stop using these tools on our dogs. So I think that's the other side of it. Sometimes we feel guilty or I feel like we need to um, some in some way um, validate what we've done in the past with our dogs. You don't have to do that. You don't have to like, don't feel bad that you did the best you can for your dog in that moment, because that's the tools and that's the resource. And that's the, 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 what we learned and what we need to do with our dogs. 
now we know better. <laughs> so now that you, if those that are listening right now, you know that the research is there to support using reward-based training methods, using working with trainers that are certified. You know, this is the new research. It's scientific. It's cleared out right now that we don't have to do this anymore. And don't feel bad if you did in the past, or don't feel bad because I, you know we've all have had those moments, you know, where we feel very frustrated and we don't know where, where to turn. And we went to the closest resource that we have. And now that we have lots of trainers through APDT, Association of Professional Dog Trainers, you can go online, go into the trainer search, type in a zip code and find the trainers in your area. They're all Lima trainers where they use the least intrusive, mainly aversive methods. It's that we have all made, if, you have, if you're a member and you're on the trainer search, you have to sign a waiver and say, I am going to not use um, aversive methods with, uh, with people and their dogs and with people too. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's an important point, Trevor. So if someone goes to the APDT website and they look for a trainer, then they can be confident that that trainer does not use negative methods. Yep. The, uh, yeah. The, well, that's it, very it, good to know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a stand, huge stance that APDTs took took into, and they're like, um, they um, and there's other organizations that are starting to step up and do the same. And uh, as we move forward in this world with with our dogs and our family, because you know, decades ago, dogs were only in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was, and dogs lived and had a life that we. So, but now uh, we definitely treat our dogs. Um, as part of our family and they're inside of our homes. They are, they're eating dinner with us. Um, some of them sometimes at the kitchen table, uh, you know, we don't, we probably have you know, some, some reservations about that, but uh, it's, it's really important to understand that these um, wonderful, like we're so lucky, right. To have dogs in our lives. I was, you know, you think about all the animals on this earth, dogs are just such a, a unique um, being a, in such a unique part of our lives, they have so much emo- depths of emotion. That's another mm-hmm. research found too. Dogs do experience some emotions, <laughs> things like that. Uh, we need to start treating our dogs like we would treat, like he said, our own kid, our own son, our own daughter. Um, if they are making mistakes, uh, uh, my, my favorite analogy, I'll have to figure out where this came from because I definitely didn't make it up. Our favorite, my favorite analogy is that if a flower in your garden or your plant in your garden is not growing, you usually don't blame the plant. We usually figure out, okay, maybe it's this soil, you know, maybe add some more moisture, maybe some more sunlight. It's the environment that we put the plant into to help it to grow and to thrive. What environment are you putting your dog into to help them grow and to thrive and to have a healthy life? Um, and and is what tools or methodology you think you're going to get you there the fastest and the most and the safest and, um, and the most reliable. There's no doubt in my mind to say right now that reward-based training using uh, rewards to increase your dog's behavior and want to train and learn with you is the way to go with that. What a great thought to end this podcast. You really summed that up so beautifully, Trevor. I love the, the plant analogy. I think that's really yeah. going to stick with our listeners. Thank you so much for, yeah, it's been for great. all you've shared know, I, I, I think I'm being on the podcast. Bit. <laughs> you're tearing up that's yeah it, it's tears, yeah. tears of joy right and you have me and your work has tremendous meaning and that's mm-hmm. uh that's what we hope as on the human side right to have meaning in our lives and our dogs do bring meaning to us and we want to do the best by them as we can we're Seriously, so grateful Trevor, for so good to sharing. have you yes. thanks for sharing some time and your expertise and your wonderful yeah. philosophy and a little bit more 
about whole the world, organization. whole world of resources. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a, I have, I have so much just listening to you gives me a lot of hope uh, for the future of dogs and ourselves in this training space. Thank you, Trevor. We'd love to continue the conversation. Yes, we'll do. Thanks. I would love to come back for some more. You you guys have been so great. And I had a wonderful time here on the show. Same here. Thanks, Karen. You're my favorite (laughs) (laughs) co-host. You're my favorite co-host. And Claude is our favorite producer. Thank you, Claude. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, There will be more to come uh, from the podcast next in our next episode. We really look forward to welcoming all of you back. And of course, feel free to go back and listen to any of the previous shows because there's so much good material. We've talked to so many interesting people and they are generally evergreen episodes. So check them out, folks, and share and recommend to your dog loving friends. Thanks, everyone. Next time. Bye.